Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. And hello everyone, this is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist. For our live podcast today at the Candida Chronicles. Today we're going to be discussing something a bit different than Candida, although somewhat related. We're going to discuss antibiotic use. Uh, This past Tuesday we did a podcast also covering the subject. Uh, We had such a response to that podcast that we're going to be doing an additional one today in a bit more detail. Because this is a very important subject. The use of indiscriminate Antibiotics is probably the number one cause of most doctor-induced diseases and candida and many illnesses that people would never suspect. In my practice, because I concentrate on candida and candida-like illnesses, we've made it a practice to study very carefully medical histories of people and look at the time track of how their illnesses developed And it's always very interesting that you find antibiotic use at the bottom of their troubles. Very often, the antibiotic use was was, uh, combined with steroid use. Now, this is interesting. The reason that one wants to avoid antibiotics is because antibiotics kill friendly bacteria living in the intestines. These friendly bacteria are generally of two categories. One is lactobacillus, which is acidophilus, and the other is bifidobacteria, which is bifidus. Bifidus inhabits the colon, where it aids the liver in detoxification and helps prevent bad organisms from harboring in the colon, primarily candida. Lactobacillus acidophilus lives in the small intestine, where it also prevents bad organisms like candida and other bacteria and parasites from inhabiting the colon. But lactobacillus acidophilus also helps absorption of nutrients, and it is a focal point of the immune stimulation. Actually, your body's first immune system is your protective friendly bacteria in both the intestines and the colon. When we look at the immune system, it's generally thought of by, as having six different parts to it. And the first part of the immune system would be the digestive system. The digestive system containing antibodies produced in the saliva, um, the friendly bacteria, your digestive enzymes all compromise your first part of the immune system. Now, in cases where antibiotics are warranted, they are lifesavers and they are a definitely gift from technology 
Uh, gifts sometimes can blow up in your face, as we've all learned. But for the most part, antibiotics can be a gift of modern technology and could be life-saving. And in many cases, they make the difference over people surviving in a more, uh, let's say, affluent country or affluent area, as opposed to an area with dramatic poverty where they can't afford any of these medicines. In certain cases of dental work, particularly where the dental infection could spread to the heart, the use of antibiotic treatments would be warranted. This is an individual risk person would be at. You would have to speak to your dentist or your medical doctor to see if your individual condition fits this criteria. But nonetheless, this is a concern. Uh, to, my, to my knowledge, the singer Bobby Darren from the, in the 60s and 70s, very popular, kind of out of the Frank Sinatra mold, he died due to not taking antibiotics when he was having some type of dental procedure and the infection went to an already weakened heart that he had and that uh, was unfortunately the end of his, his very productive and talented life. Tetanus, a condition where you're uh, at risk for tetanus, definitely would warrant antibiotic use. And again, this is, um, I would put this in the category of heroic medicine, where the use of these antibiotics can handle a disease which was previously unhandleable. Rabies, also a very vicious disease handleable with, with modern antibiotics and warranted. Any type of overwhelming systemic infection a person may have uh, from any type of accident can warrant the use of antibiotics. Lyme disease, another possible use of antibiotics, a, a bit arguable because there are, there are people who feel that we have natural protocols now in the alternative field that handle Lyme disease without antibiotics. I can tell you that in a study I did once within my practice, five out of 10 of the patients I treated for Lyme without antibiotics got very successful results and were stable for quite a few many years. The other five needed to combine my treatment with the standard or typical antibiotic use. Right now, I'm investigating a new company which claims it's produced medicines that are highly anti-infective, that categorically can kill each of the different categories of infection that would exist, different bacteria, different virus, different fungus, uh, Lyme disease, etc., without having the microorganism ever becoming drug-resistant to these medicines. If you tune into my website and tune into these podcasts over the next few months, I'll be talking more about these medicines as my uh, experience grows with the use of them. So these conditions that I've outlined at this point are conditions that I feel warrant antibiotic use and are pretty legitimate. These conditions aside, 
The reason why people have many of the illnesses they do that are gut related is used to the bro is is due to the broad indiscriminate use and widespread use of broad spectrum antibiotics. Antibiotics cannot differentiate bad organisms from good organisms. When you take an antibiotic to try to kill an infection that you have, it would be nice if you could have a talk with the antibiotic beforehand and explain to the antibiotic that it should kill only the infection that you seek to kill. It would be good if you could tell the antibiotic, please don't destroy the lactobacillus or the bifidus bacteria, which is in my intestinal tract because these are there to protect me and help me. In reality, the antibiotic does not listen or would not listen to your talk. It is unable to. So the antibiotic will go into your intestinal tract and it will kill all bacteria. This is particularly known as a broad spectrum antibiotic. It kills all bacteria. There are some antibiotics which are made and not, it's not the majority of them, but there are some which are confined to killing certain classes of bacteria, but this is not typical. So therefore, when you take an antibiotic to kill an infection, you're risking destroying your intestinal flora if you don't know about intestinal flora and you don't know about candidiasis, you then risk creating a mystery illness which you may suffer from for the rest of your life. Luckily, you people listening to the broadcast now are informed and know these things, so this would not happen to you. However, there are many that would fall prey to this. The primary stupidity that I see in this society pertaining to the use of antibiotics, is the doctor who tells the patient, you must go on the antibiotic because you have a flu or a cold or some such related symptom. I wonder sometimes if the person who listens to the doctor is just as stupid as he is, because no one is questioning this. This is a fallacy. The doctor who prescribes an antibiotic for a cold or a flu is, in my opinion, a moron. And the reason why I say this in such harsh terms is because you learn very quickly when you go to medical school and you study microbiology that antibiotics have no effect on a virus. A cold or a flu is primarily caused by a virus. One is called the rhinovirus, the other are typical influenzas. These are viruses. They are not bacteria. More interestingly enough, as a side note, the mechanism in which some antibiotics work is to draw copper, the element copper, out of the tissues and actually mobilize the copper to help destroy the bacteria. Copper is a highly antibacterial element. In the body, your body uses copper naturally as its own natural antibiotic. Copper is a viral stimulator. So an antibiotic which tries to mobilize copper to kill its prey 
And if its prey happens to be a virus, has no positive effect. Most anyone who is a healthcare practitioner will know that antibiotics are completely ineffective against viruses. So then the question becomes, why does the doctor even consider putting the patient on antibiotics when the patient has a flu or a cold? Well, if the doctor is intelligent and if he has studied the subject, he knows that the first part of a cold or a flu, which typically lasts five to seven days, is the viral cycle of this illness. Uh, there is an article on my website, I, which I believe is called the cold and flu phenomena or some such thing, which explains this. Colds and flus are viruses. The viral cycle can typically last seven days, and during that time you will have fatigue, you will have body aches and pains, you could have fever, you could have headaches. These are the typical symptoms of the cold, flu, or the virus. Uh, having a discharge from the lungs or mucus congestion, which is white and clear, white to clear nasal drip, these are typical symptoms of the first stage of the cold or flu, which is a virus. The second stage of the cold or flu is known as the bacterial stage. This is when the fatigue that you have kind of lets up and now you start to develop a yellow-green discharge, either from the lungs or the sinus. And the yellow-green discharge from the lungs or the sinus could be accompanied with a cough or a heavier nasal drip, which is annoying. More so than it might have been in the first viral stage of the cold and flu. So a cold or a flu can be divided into two parts. The first part, which is viral. The second part, which is bacterial. The medical doctor who gives you the magic bullet, so to speak, which is the antibiotic, for the cold or flu, if he is intelligent and if he is worth his salt, knows that he's dealing with the secondary infection. What this doctor is trying to do for you is he's trying to clear up the symptoms of the secondary bacterial infection, which occurs in the second stage of the cold and flu after the viral stage has ended. Now, this is legitimate, but still dumbheaded, because it's not necessary. In the first stage of a cold or a flu, we have the use of antibiotics, like substances, but we'll, we're going to refer to them as um, antivirals, which are of the plant kingdom, the natural kingdom. The good thing is that many of these substances are also antibacterial as well. So in my practice, when we have a patient who presents symptoms of the cold or flu, if they are in the first stage of the illness, where they are primarily having fatigue, headaches, aches and pains, fever, the white discharge or clear, we will use various substances, which are natural plant antivirals, which have the ability to cut down the length of time of the viral replication. 
This shortens the viral stage. To throw some product names out there for you, so you have some idea what I'm talking about. The plant substance known as lomatium is a very important plant called the wild black carrot root here in North America, discovered by the native Indians. And it is a very good antiviral, antifungal, and it's an antibacterial quite effective against strep and staph. This herb can typically be used in the first stage of the cold and flu against the virus. Elderberry, particularly given as a syrup, we have found to be very effective against colds and flus and the viral stage. A product by Metagenics company called Mycotheron, which is a combination of different oriental mushrooms, which are highly immune stimulating, is also very effective against the first stage of the virus. There are, for, there are certain types of silver. Uh, silver is known as either mild silver protein or colloidal silver, which can be very effective against the virus in the first stage. And there are also different types of silver, which can be effective against the uh, bacterial stage of the cold and flu, which is the second stage. In the industry that makes silver today, the industry itself, I, I feel, is in a bit of confusion because there are companies that make very different products. The original type of silver that was made many years ago was chemically made, and if you took too much of it, it would turn your skin gray, which would be a permanent skin discoloration unless you were to detoxify your body of this metal. The modern silvers do not run the risk of causing this disease. I figured it has a disease name to it. I forgot the name of it. But you don't run the risk of having this, uh, this problem with the modern types of silver because they are made electronically and it's a different type of silver. Your body metabolizes it much better. The modern types of silver are, used, are, are made literally by taking two rods of pure silver placing them in water with a pinch of salt, and then you run an electric current through both rods. This causes tiny, tiny particles of the silver to dance off the bars and enter the water and enter a, become a solution, which then becomes the silver medicine. This is the, the uh, abbreviated version of how these are made. We have plant-based organisms that are called... Uh, Soil-based organisms, sometimes you'll refer to them as um, SBOs. These organisms are like Acidophilus herbifidus, not quite, but they're like it. They don't represent a constituent of your major flora. They're found in healthy people in tiny amounts. And when they're given to people who are sick, individuals who are sick, these bacteria literally eat by phagocytosis, if you people remember that name when you were in school, Phagocytosis is the act of certain bacteria that, that actually consume or devour other bad organisms. And that's what these uh, soil-based organisms do. These SBOs literally find bad organisms in your system and physically eat them. These are effective against colds and flus. 
So you see, we have a range of substances which can be taken against the cold or the flu, all of which in their own manner cut down the replication time of the virus to shorten the length of the viral infection. Maybe one of the most important ones are zinc lozenges. Zinc has been found to be a highly antiviral nutrient. And when used as a lozenge, when you have a cold or flu, many studies have shown that it can literally cut the time of the infection in half. Vitamin A and vitamin C also as nutrients are natural antiviral nutrients in your body and help to cut back the viral infection. Uh, one quick um, hint for you from a, a buyer's viewpoint, whenever you go to buy a zinc lozenge, you never, never buy a zinc lozenge which has any vitamins in it, particularly vitamin C. Companies that make zinc lozenges and that are putting vitamins and other substances in there with the zinc are stupid because they, they fail to understand basic biochemistry. When you put vitamin C in the zinc lozenge, the vitamin C literally drags the zinc down into your digestive tract and, pre and prevents the zinc from bathing your throat and entering the tissues in your mouth, the lymphatic system in your mouth, the throat, etc., where it's supposed to do all its, its job and its work. So you never buy a zinc lozenge which has anything in it other than zinc if you want to play it safe. Now, on the bacteria side of the story, when someone has a bacterial infection, and let's, let's assume that it's the secondary stage of the cold or flu, there are many substances which can handle the bacterial infection without the person having to go on antibiotics. Go back to the lomatium. Using the lomatium at the right dose can help. The lomatium can also be used as a, um, let's say, a nasal douche, for lack of a better term. You can put the lomatium in an, in an eyedropper or in a neti pot, and you can flush your sinuses with the herb if you mix the herb with a little water, and the herb can therefore, on contact, start killing bacteria in your sinuses. The same can be done with silver. Different types of mild silver proteins have the ability to destroy uh, bacteria. And I would go so far as saying that in the natural kingdom, the different silver medicines that you find in the health food store are nature's answer to the antibiotics. Uh, silver is, in some cases, more effective than antibiotics because many antibiotics no longer work the way they should due to the bacteria being coming drug-resistive against them. This is a problem you've heard of. We, we all know this problem exists with candida, where candida can become drug-resistant against the antifungals. It's a bigger problem in, in medicine when we deal with bacteria, because antibiotics have been around so long that many strains of bacteria are becoming resistive to them, and they're not functional. So the, the idea of silver being used as an antibiotic has many benefits over antibiotics. Number one, there is no way that the bacterial infection can develop a resistance to the silver. And number two, the silver does not destroy the friendly bacteria. 
As a matter of fact, none of the items which I've discussed today kill friendly bacteria. All of these items that I've discussed that either kill viruses or bacteria kill only the bad ones and not the friendly ones. So the use of silver as an antibiotic, again, it can be used as a nasal douche. It can be used as a, uh, a, f- a throat spray, perhaps. You could gargle with it and then spit it out, or you could swallow it, or you could just simply take it orally. Any of these uses would be very effective. There exist in, na- in the health food industry uh, various multi-type formulations which you'll find contain copper, vitamin D, and often thymus protein and lymphatic protein. These can be thought of as a sort of multivitamin for someone with a bacterial infection. If nothing else, just taking the element copper when you have a bacterial infection helps your body get over the infection. Similar to how zinc lozenges help you get over the viral infection. We would think of the zinc lozenge as being antiviral as we would think of the copper supplement as being antibacterial. So when someone is faced with taking antibiotics, you need to be very sure that you're taking an antibiotic for a sound reason. Because if you take the antibiotic indiscriminately, You can wipe out your intestinal flora and you can develop all sorts of intestinal maladies, candida being one of the major ones. It is bad to take antibiotics, even if you don't develop candida, because the antibiotic will still harm your normal flora. The interesting thing about the natural substances, which we've touched on today, as opposed to an antibiotic, is the antibiotic is more prone to bypassing your immune system in order to do its job in killing the bacteria, where many of these natural substances do not bypass your immune system. They actually more coax your own immune system to more refine its attack or direct its attack against the harmful organisms in doing its job a bit different. A very common problem people have is with food poisoning, especially since going out to eat is more, more common with all the restaurants we have nowadays. You're more apt to get food poisoning because not everyone is going to handle the food with the same amount of sanitation or sanitary means or hygiene that you might at home. Antibiotics are typically given when people have food poisoning. When people develop... Uh, Conditions known as Montezuma's Revenge, as an example, from drinking the water in Mexico, let's say, hypothetically, antibiotics are one of the first things people will give. Now, there is an alternative to having antibiotics when you have food poisoning, and this alternative is a a much older alternative than even the antibiotic is, and it's very effective if you use it correctly, and this is activated charcoal. Nowadays, you'll see in the drugstores activated charcoal that's specifically used for gas or for food poisoning. Charcoal is a great absorbent, and what charcoal does is it absorbs the bacteria in your intestinal tract before it goes systemic 
and causes you to have all the various illnesses. There is a, a likewise similar illness that has been called beaver fever. Beaver fever is a infection that you pick up when you go uh, to a lake, let's say, if the lake is infected with a parasite called Giardia. Uh, exactly how it became known as beaver fever, I'm not, I don't remember. We know that beavers are in lakes and apparently beavers may be carriers of this parasite, but I, I don't recall exactly. But nonetheless, the symptoms of Giardia infection or beaver fever are diarrhea, fever, obviously, body aches and pains, vomiting, very similar to a cold or a flu, with the exception is that it's a more violent illness and uh, you're very apt to become dehydrated. That's the biggest risk when you have something like beaver fever is dehydration. Well, coincidentally, there is a substance, a natural substance, which can kill the beaver fever. There are two products that are typically used together. One is known as citricidal, that's the trade name. Citricidal is a grapefruit seed extract. Well, it's also known as paramycocidin. Uh, either way, whether you know the product as citricidal or paramycocidin, the grapefruit seed extract is highly, highly antibiotic. It's a natural antibiotic. It works differently from sil than silver. It doesn't work as systemically as silver does. Silver is something which absorbs more freely through your system and kills bacteria and organisms all throughout the body. Paramycocidin is more limited to your gastrointestinal tract, but it's highly effective against Giardia, particularly when you combine it with an herb that's called Artemisia. The uh, more common name for Artemisia is wormwood. The U.S. Army for many years has used Artemisia as a medicine against malaria. So it is quite a legitimate substance. The combination of both very effective against the beaver fever. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control, uh, actually wrote back in the 80s that the extract of mother's milk, which is known as lauricidin or lauric acid, had the ability to kill viruses in ways that none of the, the drugs at the time did. Uh, Lauricidin, as a trade name, is able to actually destroy the outside membrane or the envelope of a virus, which then allows your immune system to attack the remaining. And it's a very, very useful medication. You can buy it over the counter. It's essentially an extract from mother's milk, so it is natural and non-toxic, and it's a highly effective antiviral. There are studies that are going on right now with monolaurin in combination with various forms of silver to kill HIV. So there we have it, folks. This is an, a very good outline here today of the use or the, <laughs> I guess we say non-use, of antibiotics, the, we'll say the alternative use from the natural plant kingdom instead of using antibiotics. And again, the fact of the matter is no one is, is particularly against antibiotics uh, as, as though it's a rant or a rave or something like this. It's the proper use of antibiotics 
that's important. It's the indiscriminate use of antibiotics which, which hurt people. Taking antibiotics when it's not necessary, when you could use something from the plant kingdom to achieve the same effect, is more sane. It's more sane because you don't open yourself up to digestive problems and to candidiasis and other issues. It's more sane because you're not apt now to make a bacteria become drug resistant to the point where if that bacteria was ever widespread and you needed to take an antibiotic for a crisis, that the antibiotic actually would work and the antibiotic would not be drug resistant. It's more sane because the, the substances from the natural kingdom actually help your body to overcome rather than bypassing the body in the sense and allowing your body not to develop its own, therefore, immunity against whatever the infection is. The problem with antibiotics destroying your intestinal flora is not just a problem of digestion and a problem of other microbes. It's a point of maintaining your, the integrity of your immune system since the first line of defense or the first part of your immune system is your intestinal tract and the friendly bacteria which inhabit it. I hope this has been very helpful for everyone, especially since we're in the, the season, the cold and flu season. And as always, if anyone has a question they would like to ask me, you can email me directly at drb at health-truth.com. Again, that's drb at health-truth.com. I would be happy to answer your questions. This is Michael Biamonti with the Candida Chronicles. I hope you have enjoyed this session. We will have another session of the Candida Chronicles this coming Tuesday. Please tune in because you never know what you may learn. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.